You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to our new listeners. Seth is very excited because his favorite band, we, we have someone from his favorite band. It's your favorite band, too, Rob. They're up there, but you're like a freakazoid fisherman. Yeah, you still chase them around today. I do. I do. Well, now that I have a son, it's much more difficult. But... I got to dance with your son to fish at Lockin. And Lockin was my son's first fish show. Pretty awesome, actually. I was That was exciting. We will get to that. Uh, it, it is Chris Carota, the lighting designer for Fish. He has, he's been the lighting designer for Fish since he basically took over when the when the active the current guy went to the bathroom. Essentially, Chris took over, and then at the end of that show, the band was most uh, happy about the portion of the show that it turned out he had done the lights for, and that basically comedically was the beginning of his relationship with them. And if you want to know more about that story. Well, first, obviously listen to the whole episode here. Yeah, but listen to this a, first. But there is a YouTube from um, a, a lighting design workshop I did with him and our former guest, Jefferson Waffle, lighting designer, Humphreys McGee, uh, on Jam Cruise a couple years ago. and he Welcome talks, to Jam Cruise Talk. Hey, welcome. But he did, uh, the, it's a it's really good, two-part video, uh, and Kuroda talks, well, both talk all about lighting. But let's... Uh, let's we'll, get uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to him. We'll get to him later. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, welcome to the show, and, and if you, if first-time listeners, listen... Check our show out. We've got a bunch of great interviews, such as uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, Keller he was a, Williams. Colonel Bruce is a big influence on Fish, so any of you younger fans uh, should be aware of Colonel Bruce Hampton. Huge influence on them, particularly uh, Mike Gordon. Mike Gordon's movie... Uh, Outside Out. Outside Out features Colonel and was very... And heavily influenced by the ethos of the Colonel. Oh my God! It's so it's just, it's all Zambi and Zambi Zammed. Uh, Keller Williams, uh, Mark Brownie, Brownstein Brownie from the Disco Biscuits. The Disco Biscuits from who were uh, part of the debut Nugs.net TV show. We're going to talk about in a future episode. Oh yeah, we should definitely get uh, Nugs on the show. Brad Serling, I'm a fan. I like yeah. Brad Serling. Yeah, and uh, other guests include new master sounds Simon Allen. That that was a great interview. I'm proud of that one because we really pulled out how how they um, a, a lot of how the band has developed its magnetic feel and the way it, it grabs an audience is because they came out of the DJ scene in Britain when people were really there to see the DJs. And we really get into that. We get into a lot of the difficulties the bands had over the years and a lot of the way things have changed for them. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that interview there. Yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Kevin Kinney, the rock and roll man himself. From Driving and Crying, the uh, the founding member and pretty much the creative force behind, for the most part, behind Driving and Crying. Yeah, that episode definitely went straight to hell. And uh, <laughs> Sam Bush, the father of Newgrass. One of our shorter interviews, but it was a great one. It was short but sweet. I like the beginning of that one the best, though, with the, 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 the intro, kind of how that, that kind of just flew into the show. Yes, he talks about Guy Clark, he talks about Balafleck, he talks about... Uh, just a lot of great stuff dating back to when the strength in numbers days and um, just a, that, that, that's a fun interview too and yeah and then and of course uh, he's a great new CD out too and we talk all about that go ahead sorry yeah no worries and, uh, and of course our latest episode with Headcount uh, at Lockin our first of our Lockin episodes that came out right around National, Regi- National Registration Voter Day Voter Registration Day and the day yeah. after it came out there was a picture or a couple days after there was pictures circling in the internet he and Pete Shapiro those of you who don't know, Pete Shapiro is uh, pretty much was uh, the guy behind Wetlands and has since become a major player in the industry. The Fairly Well concerts were him. Mm-hmm. The Capitol Theater refurbishing is him. The and Lock-in of course, Lockin. Yes, Lockin Music Festival. This is the second of our many, many interviews of Lockin. 
And uh, Pete is behind that. But anyways, he and Andy were hanging out on the White House lawn. What was? Do you know the whole backstory on that? Uh, well, I know they weren't mowing the lawn. But no, I don't know the backstory. Um, but hey, listen, let's get to, before we get to the Chris Kuroda stuff. I'd love to mow the White House lawn. Yeah, you know, uh, Rob on his spare time does lawn work. And uh, and I it, have my shirt off, so I have uh, a spare tire, too. Oh. oh, my God. It is not a pretty sight, folks. You do not want to see Rob without a shirt on. Feels good, though. Feels so sorry. good. Hey, and a big thanks to Robert Kwan with Southern Recording. Not only for uh, taking the time. He's a really busy guy. He went all the way down. I mean, he had a good time at the festival, but he doesn't I hope need so. This. I mean, he had to put up with us, which is not easy. Yeah, we're a little annoying. I was annoying, particularly one night, I guess. Yeah, the night he was still waiting for us to get. Yeah, well, I had fun one night. The other three nights, I, I was driving everybody home. Hey, Rob, but... can you drive? <laughs> Rob, you can't drive. No, I can get in the back seat. We're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Rob, I don't think you can drive. I can drive 55. At any rate, though, it was like, you know, it was like Rob, walking along. That's the thank you for staying sober three of the four nights. Well, the guy but... who partied every night is complaining about the one night I did. Oh, I partied. Oh, uh, yeah. You wouldn't stay sober if there was a freaking tornado if coming directly to your house. If you call partying, drinking, terrapin beer, who happens to be our sponsor? Terrapin beer, our sponsor who so kindly helped us uh, put in ads in the uh, lock-in time. So if you saw the ad there, that's uh, thanks to Terrapin beer. That got us a lot of heat. A lot of people are coming up to me and being like, hey, I saw your podcast in the, in the lock-in newspaper. But it didn't seem to translate into more listens, though. I remember I looked in the week after that, and there weren't a whole lot of I mean, more how, listens. How can you tell? But people saw it because of the numbers. Well, maybe they drank the beer. That's what matters. Well, that's cool. As long as Terrapin got the heads up. Yeah, so thanks, Terrapin Beer. That was very, very very nice of them, and a lot of people were talking about it at the festival. So before we get into the Kuroda episode, and interview, rather, yes. uh, let's talk I mean, let's talk a little bit. You know, Rob, what have you been up to, man? You're, you are the music fan. What, what, what have you seen lately? Well, uh, thanks to my buddy Jeff Patridge, he turned me on his band called The Growlers. Is that you get a free beer when you get to see them? Uh, no. Beer Growler? No. Is and, it like all about beer? Really, really good band. They work in surf music, beach music, and also kind of rockabilly, but really? they also very much oh, have their own so. sound. They can get they can get real aggro. Kind of Dick Dale, though. It's like all Dick Dale's covers? or And there was crowd surfing, but like that periodic only four or five people of really dangerous, really lame crowd surfing. Please what? tell me they did the crowd surfing during the... The surf rock. Uh, at one point, it was it was a surf song. Actually, yeah, it was the surf thing was going on. But there was one woman who was a little heavy who shouldn't have been crowd surfing, and she went right right down. There was another woman who did a spin move right before she went up to the stage, and the band ended up bringing her on stage. She she did one of those things when you're surfing and you kind of turn your body and you can woo, and if people are with you, they spin you right around. The singer brought her up, but uh, one woman got kicked in the head too. So. Uh, yeah. And as David Nelson tells us, you know, you, you don't want to kick in the head. No, you definitely don't. You definitely don't. Uh, I also ran into our uh, our engineer who's with us today. Thank you, Josh Thane, for taking his time out. Josh Thane from Wonder from Dog Wonder Sound. Wonder Dog Sound Studio. That's right. And also, mazel tov to Josh, who recently got married. And that's who I ran into, Louisa, his new his new bride, who actually came out of nowhere and tapped me on the shoulder. Wait a second. Nice she, they weren't together? Uh, no, she was with a, another lovely woman. Uh, they just got married. You guys still have some uh, independence. Well, he's working on that Voodoo Visionary album, man. They're still finishing that up, right? He's very, very busy. And I'll tell you, from what I've heard, that is going to be a devil of an album. I can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to see him over for talk. Voodoo mm-hmm. Visionary. 
Wish I knew the date of that. It's the Variety Playhouse in November, mid-November. Talk Voodoo Visionary. Atlanta people. And I still haven't been to Variety. Have you? They've I have com- not. You know, okay, so funny com- story, funny story. Real quick, they've completed the res- renovations on one of our favorite local venues here in Atlanta, one of the best venues in the Southeast, Variety Playhouse for you fish fans. It's also part of fish lore, but we oh, can yeah. get into that later. All right, so listen, Rob, you're going to appreciate this. I saw Robert Polay the other day. He, he's a... Uh, Gives me a call, an accountant here, the music accountant. He gives me a call, and he's like, hey, Seth, you go into the Variety tomorrow night. I go, for what? He goes, friends and family. I'm like, no, I, you know, if I got a dinner party at the house, I'm not going to be able to make it. I go to my, I go to my wife. I'm like, Amy, I didn't, I'm looking at my spam, nothing. I mean, I know the guys at the Variety. Why would they not invite me to something? You know, the reopening, you know, they just reopened it. They're doing, must be some sort of tour they're doing at the venue. So I see Robert the next day at the Chili Cook-Off, Ethan's uh, Chili Cook-Off, and... Um, <laughs> And and he's I'm like how was how was the uh, the variety he goes oh it was a great show I'm like oh they had a band he goes yeah friends and family I go wait no no I thought it was a friends and family <laughs> I I was so upset I thought I missed like a a special private like come see the variety <laughs> but no the band was friends and family and I'm familiar with that band and you see how I shut up and let you finish yeah thank you you're uh, welcome thank you. <laughs> oh man all right well, i i was gonna go to sarah jaros but i but i i lame i've been laming out on shows lately sometimes really good sports going on including my red Sox. and you're listening to sports radio with rob turner tell us about the red Sox, rob we're in the middle of the playoffs but uh we lost game one but this will be dated by the by the time the series will be over by the time this airs so let that's Are enough you serious? about that the other show i saw was i i, I love this room called um <clears throat> the schwartz center it's actually Emerson Hall at the Schwartz Center. Isn't it's at it em- Emory's? It's Emory. Emory, Emory University. Emory! I love this place. The sound is just fantastic. And Branford Marsalis was there with his quartet, which includes Joey Calderazzo, Eric Rivas. I forget the drummer's name. I'm sorry. And he had uh, this uh, singer, Kurt Engvall. No, I'm not getting the name right. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'd have to look it up. But he's a, he's a classical jazz singer and was also improvising with the band. So it was a really interesting way to see Branford. The, the, the quartet came out, they did one piece on their own, and then, uh, are you looking that up? No. Thanks for your, having my back. It's uh, If you look on BranfordMarsalis.com tour, he's currently touring with them. Um, but anyways, they were improvising. Like, he sings, he's got incredible range. He's, this guy's released 10 albums, each of which has been nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. And he has this incredible range and, you know, is technically a great singer, sings with great emotion, but also was able to improvise with the band. That was the thing that knocked me out. Here, Josh, awesome. Let's see. Branford Marsalis is on tour with this guy. You can see him in, let's see, Spokane, Cincinnati, Ohio. He's playing with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Let's see. Sounds sounds interesting, Rob. So yeah, people will check that out. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? While you're looking up, dates, I got it. Go Kurt, ahead, Kurt Elling. Go to BranfordMarsalis.com/tour. Kurt Elling is the name of the singer, and anyone who knows classical or or like current jazz would probably be familiar with this. A lot out of the Marsalis. I was not brothers. familiar with them. Uh, I'm a. I like Branford. The, he's Branford's my favorite. On amazing that. improvisationally. He also can be a very emotional player. He can be a very sexy player. And that's coming from Sting. Sting says he's the sexiest musician he's ever played with, and that's not talking about his looks. It's talking about the way he plays. Mm-hmm. Well, coming up next in Atlanta for me, Rob, uh, tomorrow, Oakhurst is a neighborhood, and it's got the Porch Fest. Now, check this out, folks. This is a, it's a really cool neighborhood, um, but what they do is they 
they have a it's called porch fest like i said and it is exactly what it sounds like every hour from 12 o'clock till five o'clock every hour there there's a new band that plays and there's and you just it's like a pub crawl but through a neighborhood and each uh, different neighbors go ahead and set up bands on their porch and you just kind of stroll all around the neighborhood and there's different bands jonathan brill's playing with his cousin and one of the one of this uh porches and rob just, rob plantner trio i'm gonna go find seek uh, them yeah. out uh, rob planner fellow uh fellow nathan moore lover like myself uh-huh so i mean it's 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 just, we did it last year we just put daryl and our, our son in the stroller and just strolled around drinking wine and i going missed neighborhood it last year. neighborhood it was it was a lot of fun so i'm i'm excited Tomorrow's i'm glad you brought it up time. i have a question because i'm going i'm walking to it yeah it's, it's, the idea. It's, a, it's a long walk but it's a walk from my house should I bring my dog? My, my yeah, bring mi- your dog for sure. My Min Pin Terrier mix? Yeah, yeah, definitely bring Birdie. Um, well, before we get into the Kuroda interview, uh, I want to just kind of give a give some love out there to uh, Charles Bradley as well as Buddy Cage. Both of them are dealing with cancer. So um, I know that Buddy Cage has a, uh, a, fun, a GoFundMe out there right now to help him with his medical bills. I'm not sure what's well, going on with Charles. Let's not cross over but... that. Buddy, Buddy Cage... Um, is a pedal steel player um, who you might know recently from Stir Fried, but probably made his name because he Riders. replaced Jerry Garcia in the New Riders, the Purple yeah. Sage. And he's also just an amazing player. He's someone that. Very psychedelic. Garcia so himself. Um, Kind of bowed to him from a pedal steel perspective. He's also he's one of the individuals that are still around. That really, um, when you talk to him, when he tells you stories about Jerry, it's as if Jerry is right. Kind of like David Nelson. Like David Nelson, also uh, like um, uh, um, um, Melvin Seals did the same. I've not met him. Never so, met him. So yeah, just to you know, keep these guys in your thoughts, and if you can, um, you can uh, help them out on you know. Please do, but uh, but yeah, let's. Um, is it is it time? It's time, man. You I, fish fans are very patient. If you haven't fast forwarded, thank you for tuning in, fish fans. This is the second of our many episodes on Lockin. We did a ton of interviews there. Mm-hmm. Um, our next interview is going to be with a uh, sideman, Jason Crosby, who's played with everyone. This interview is fantastic. Talks about well, I don't even want to give it away. No, I don't you give just it away. Listen, oh, I, will, then, I will give one thing away though. He mentions his start of of do, learning music through the Suduki Suduki method. Yes. Well, uh, Suzuki Suzuki. Yeah, not Suduki. God, Suzuki method. At any rate, though, my wife and I now I was so inspired by that that we yesterday we went and took Daryl to a cello lesson to observe and we're, we're thinking he's three and we're thinking about getting him that's cool we'll enrolled. touch back on so, that yeah. after the jason one um but uh, roger mcnamee who is uh, extremely successful businessman we'll explain who he is but he's also the founding member of moon alice founding member of doobie decibel he and jason are one interview pete sears who played with jefferson uh air uh, jefferson starship excuse me yeah. has played with hendrix has played with uh the stories on that one are mind-blowing from, the drummer from jeff beck You'll hear a lot about the drummer from Jeff Beck. Um, oh, let's see yeah. who else do we have. Stanton Moore. Speaking of drummers, yep, Galactic Stanton Moore. Who that was? That was a fun one. John Dindis, who I miss. Uh, John Dindis is the lock in production manager um, and works with works with a lot of different uh, festivals and events. And I'll explain. Go for Dindis Productions would be his company. Go ahead. And I'll explain why I uh, refer to him as Glenn Dindis in the intro to the Tom Hamilton interview. 
Tommy. Now, Tom, by the way, is now recently on this new CID project. And big props to CID, by the way. Going to say, by the way, by the way, by the way. Not only are you doing the fish in the Riviera, but they've stepped up, man. They've got a lot of events this year, which is competing with Cloud9. Uh, I think the events are a little different in the magnitude and size and artists, etc. But And uh, from an activities perspective, I think they pale in comparison. Uh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, but uh, that, that's definitely a Do big difference. Do they have difference. any activities? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. But uh, competition's good. I think it makes everyone step up their game. Tom Hamilton will be on the show again. This guy is the easiest interview. Any of you young kids trying to get out in the music industry and you want to start interviewing musicians, start with Tom Hamilton. He's an interviewer's best friend. This guy is the easiest interviewer ever. You just wind him up like a top, man. Wind him up. Really cool guy. Wonderful player and and, uh, great interview. Uh, Kristen, can you talk about Kristen Swagger? Yeah, yeah. She's uh, the... uh, the production, or rather the hospitality manager at Lockin, as well as works and manages production with Symbiosis Events. Very nice gal. Took a little time away from her day. Actually, the funny thing about Christian Swagger and John Dindis is that each time when they interviewed us, it was the only break they took for the day or the weekend. Like, we were their break. They interviewed us. <laughs> when we interviewed them. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, but we, we were their break. That was nice. Because usually we're an annoyance to these musicians. Like, uh, well, I'm not saying we annoyed. The, the, the other interviews we did waiting. were <laughs> Moon Taxi, still Benny Bloom, waiting. Stanton Moore. You're talking about? No, it's still, still waiting. Hot song? Waiting. Waiting. What? Still waiting. Oh. Still, our listeners are still waiting for the correct interview. So, but yes. so yeah, we, we are fish, fish lovers. Seth is probably more... Um, more fanatical about them these days, although I keep up with the webcasts and stuff. My fish love was mainly, I, I got lucked out because of people like Ben Hunter and Bob Lobel. I got to see them, I got encouraged to go see them in clubs back in the 80s. I saw them at Molly's, saw them at uh, the Paradise, saw them at Somerville Theater. And Let's then, not forget meeting where we met, Great Woods. That's where I first met you. We actually met outside at a fish show. Flyering. Both, both postering and promoting music. I think I'm pretty proud of that, too. <laughs> Something we've both done a lot, promoting bands, helping artists. But anyways, I saw the fish a bunch in the, in the 90s. Even at my peak, I wasn't like a tour head. I'd, I'd see him like four times here, four times there. I was never a see-the-whole tour guy. And I've trickled off lately, even though I really keep up with them. Whereas you, Seth, I mean, there have been a couple of years recently well, where you've seen him like 20 times, Well, right? okay. I mean, like, uh, my first shows were in 94. Uh, but when I graduated college in 2000... Wait a minute, does that make you a lawn boy head? Or does that make you a... So when I graduated college in 2000, I got... I, Nectar's head. I got Picture a, Nectar's head. I got a uh, gig with this company called headjams.com, which was a website trying to... It was a little ahead of their time, but at any rate, uh, my job was to go to festivals that summer and promote headjams.com, get people to sign up on the email list, give them lighters, t-shirts, etc. Well... You had a table? Working a table? Yeah, yeah we had a booth. Um, oh! We had a booth, man. I didn't mean to undersell you, No, man. that's okay. Sorry. It wasn't just a table. We had Whoa. a tent and a big worm. We had a floaty big worm. At any rate, this here's the thing, though, right? Booth love, baby. So, booth love. So we... Uh, the, 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 that was three months, then it took us from all good to High Sierra and back, just me and my buddy Aton. We finish up in High Sierra, and we finish up, and we, I'm in New York City talking to them, and was, my, the van broke down. I mean, it was like, my, my summer's done, right? But the day I'm there is the day that Fish announces the hiatus, and they're going to finish this tour. So I'm like, well, do you guys want to keep me around? They're like, okay. So for the next three months, I do that tour, 2000 uh, fall tour. And, you know, just go again from the East Coast all the way back out West, uh, ending in Shoreline. And um, but yeah, so I mean, that that was that was the only like big, big tour. But yeah, I I, even like last year, right before we like uh, for those of you just listening, uh, my wife and I are in the process of adopting our son. He's been with us for a year. So prior to getting him, 
uh, we we spent a lot of time saying, well, let's get in as much fish as we can. So of course, you know, the la- the years prior, we you know we did we did the the did the Halloween shows. And- I don't know if I'd twist them around that way. Ah, okay, Rob. I like mm. what you're doing there. And uh, so yeah, seen 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 a ton to the point that if you're a fish fan and you hear a manteca hidden in any song, you know you're in for a good show. Manteca. I Disney. call it Manteca. Manteca, yeah, it is. Never go back to Georgia. I mispronounced the name in our first album, and it's named after the Ben Hunter, who's a friend of mine, and I still mispronounce it. So, uh, yeah, man. This So to interview Chris Carota, um, I, I had the privilege of uh, working with him on Jam Cruise. <laughs> and also the, the cool thing about this was that he contacted us, you know? Yeah, that and was now this cool. is starting. We have other people doing it now, but at the time he did it, it was people weren't doing that yet. We were still a new podcast. We had like four or five episodes. It was probably because of the waffle one. Yeah, was it because the waffle? It was shortly after the. It we was right interviewed after. another lighting designer. Um, well, well, listen, you know, let's not make light of this, okay? I mean, but it's so so we get to lock in. We have the we have it all arranged, but we didn't have a place to do it. Well, we had a place to do it, but that fell through, and so we're now standing. You well, know, a bunch of places fell through. Well, one was what one was where we had a, a one of the rehearsal rooms, and then all of a sudden a band comes in, like wait, uh, and they just moved. You know, there was some shuffling going on. I was like, all right, well, all right, Rob, I don't know where we're going to record this, but we he's you know Chris has only got a little bit of time, and so I'm standing there talking to Chris, and Rob's like, where are we going to record? And I look at Chris, and I'm like, okay, right here. So we decided to do it right there backstage. Now. Typically, in the artist compound, is not where you do an interview, uh, especially if it's a video, because that's the artist's space. You don't want to invade it. You don't, you know, you don't want to do that sort of thing. However, this seemed to work okay. I mean, it the was artist very... seemed curious in what the hell was going on. <laughs> well, one guy was jumping around us, who who I later learned figured out was Lee Oscar. Yes, I, thank I you for saying that. I would have loved to talk to Lee Oscar. Oh, I was like, damn it. I saw him throughout the weekend, and he and he oh. and he kept looking at us, and I was like. Who is that guy? I thought I knew him, but I didn't. But that's who it was. He's probably like, why aren't these idiots talking to me? Do they, <laughs> exactly. do they have any idea who I've played with? And it's like, yeah, yes. we do. We just don't know who you who you look like. Sorry. Get a publicist. Well. <laughs> oh. Or get a publicist that knows about podcasts. Even more rare. And speaking of podcasts, the interview was awesome. We really enjoyed uh, the interview. Unfortunately, we didn't get him to talk about his new rig. All he talked about was Halloween. <laughs> the new. Oh, you're funny. Well, I, I, I think I'm funny. This was a fun interview. Um, we hit him at two angles. We were a little excited at first, and, when, when, and then we calmed down, and, and it got really good, I thought. This yeah. Was, this, uh, he, uh, he really lets us into the decision-making process, not just to do it in the first place, but uh, on content, on, uh, on how to execute it live, and all this sort of stuff, and how to present it uh, with regard to moving the screen and, and all these yeah, other the decisions. And, and then it was really nice to have that interview and then go and see that 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 set that night which was the last of the lock and sets and you know it gives you a different perspective and so if you're listening to this now this interview and you're going to go see them um you know new albums out i think today and uh and they're about to kick off their tour so when you go and you do see fish on this run i think listening to this uh interview will give you a you look at it in a different light so without further ado folks uh, the fish tour starts october 14th in charleston south carolina those will probably turn into hurricane benefit shows they do two shows in Charleston, and then they go to Jacksonville. As we speak today, Jacksonville has just been pummeled by Hurricane Matthew, and it is moving toward Charleston. So I look at the beginning of this tour with concern, but I, knowing fish, they'll probably this, they'll turn this into a way to help out the, the, the people suffering down there. Um, and they're, they're here October 21 and 22. I've, I've got a ticket for the 21st, and I think you've got tickets for both. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 
So I'll see at least one. You'll see both. Don't be that guy. All right, folks. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Finally. Without waiting any longer, we present you Chris Corona. Backstage at Lockin. It's very bright outside, so no surprising that Chris Kuroda, the lighting man himself, has sunglasses on. Yeah, I like bright things. But, uh, <laughs> you know. It's very good to have you on the show, especially at a time with uh, such great change at your fingertips. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, we've, you know, we've uh, sort of done some different things this year and tried to sort of break out of the box a little bit. And it's very experimental, but uh, you know, we're taking some chances and some risks and. You know, uh, as far as fish goes, that's always sort of been our mantra to take risks. And musically, they take a lot of risks. And we felt like this was the year that production-wise, we would try to take a chance or two and see where it went. Now, walk us back a little bit. Uh, you finished the tour last year. At what point was it? I mean, what, tell us a little bit about how this change got uh, evoked, started. Well, you know, um, there's a few factors involved. We. Uh, you know, there were some new philosophies that we as a group wanted to try to incorporate moving forward. Um, one thing being Fish being a three-hour show, we all banned some key management people, myself, all kind of felt we wanted to try to create some kind of new evolution to the Fish show that we hadn't had before. We felt like we'd go on stage, play two sets for three hours, it would all basically be the same, and you can't predict how the band's going to play. So if we wanted to create some sort of show evolution, we felt we needed to do it production-wise. So uh, there was that, and there was also sort of the feel that we had, even though lighting rigs have changed over the years and our look has changed in certain ways over the years, we felt like um, we wanted to make a, a major leap, uh, not forward, we just wanted to take a major leap in a different direction. We felt like we were all starting to look the same. All the sort of acts in our genre were all kind of falling into the same uh, bowl. And we wanted to try to take ourselves somewhere that was a little different, mm -hmm. finally. So. Well, I mean, you've, you've had changes. I mean, I think back to, um, Jesus, probably 2010, where you started, especially in the Greek, I think of the Greek uh, in California, where you started doing the lights kind of almost uh, pillar-like kind of uh, patterns, but like straight up and down, kind of giving giving a backdrop to the band, which wasn't there before. Yeah, um, we, we've experimented with that before. I don't know if people remember way back in the day, like way back, we used to have a backdrop that we called the Minkin. 
The what? The Minkin. That was Mike's mother? That was Mike's mother designed it. And then we had her design another one and another one. And for many years, up until, say, 94, we had backdrops. Ah. And then we sort of fell away from that. And uh, with the video that we're doing now, we're sort of referring to it as a group as our modern day Minkins. That's so. uh, Donnie was actually told me to mention the Minkin to you. So thanks for bringing that up. But I want to. Yeah. This is very interesting to me on many levels. And first of all, it's a whole new can of worms with with regard to content. And I know you're not you're an abstract guy. You're not. If they're playing song, I heard the ocean sing. You're not going to put an ocean up there. You know what I mean? So that must have been a reservation. And also. There's just like an infinite amount of things that you could use, and do you need band approval on everything? I mean, how, how does that all work? No, the band sort of approved the concept, and you hit the nail right on the head. When we decided to go down this video road, we our mantra was video that, two mantras really, video that doesn't look like video was one, and nothing pictorial. Since Fish has always been so purist in the lighting world, um, just using light, incorporating these new technologies, technologies of today, we wanted to try to remain purists. So for months and months and months, all our content creation was spent trying to not be pictorial, trying to have abstract things to choose from and just sort of vibey content. That almost doesn't look like video. That's the goal. Um, The tough part was with fish being so unpredictable, you can't most video works by going video Q1 to video Q2 to video Q3. There's no on-the-fly video punting, as we like to call it. So the amount of time that was spent creating the infrastructure to be able to pick and choose video clips at random and have them seamlessly transition from wherever we were to wherever we wanted to go was a long, arduous, time-consuming process. Can you process. take us into that a little? Because like, I know when you're learning a new board, you're maybe going to an arena, you blast the music, you get a feel for it. Do you do that with a video at all, or is it just strictly sitting at a computer? And- it's strictly been created, I mean, with, with the whole team of people, not just myself, creating content and having hundreds and hundreds of clips, and our term that we used was fired, basically. So we'd look at a clip and go, okay, that's good. We'd look at another clip with the same sort of artistic concept of being abstract, but it wasn't abstract enough or that we didn't think it would fit and we'd go, you're fired. Next, you know? And <laughs> right. So out of the five hundred clips over a six month period that we had created, maybe two hundred survived the firing process. So, so you're not uh, as you're on the road on the this past tour, you're not adding new content, you're just maybe using content that you already had uh, in your pocket? We we have a lot in there and we are adding in phases. So uh, I had basically round two of content creation happen. We recently played the Bill Graham in San Francisco. We were there for three days. So we brought the content people back in and spent afternoons sort of adding things that they at home had created and wanted to see if it was going to you know, survive the process again. But the nice thing about it was having gone through round one with a team of folks, we could send them home. They knew what we were looking for. They knew our vibe. And they could create stuff at home. And I sort of gave them the initiative of, hey, when you guys are at home, 
now you know what we like, now you know what we're looking for, you'll create something in your content world and you'll look at it and you'll know and you'll say, oh, I know Chris is going to love this or I know Chris is going to hate this or this one could be on the fence. Let's present it and see how it happens. And so, go, while you're, of course, a captain of the ship, someone else is running the video on your queue, no, right? No, I'm running it. You're running it both the and the lights. thing through the Grand Is MA. that a new challenge? I mean, that's got to be taxing. Well, it's, uh, the joke is... And I've gotten a lot better at it, but for the first few shows, I felt like I needed eight hands <laughs> just to get it all playing at the same time. Because I'm picking and choosing video content the same way I pick and choose the next lighting cue. There's no rhyme, nor reason, nor structure. Uh, it's how Fish plays it. Fish makes a left turn. You pick a lighting cue, that's a left turn. You have to pick a video cue, that's a left turn. So. But with the lighting, though, if I remember from the last time we spoke, there's a delay, like a five-second delay to the lights, where uh, you have to be five seconds ahead or so? I That's intentional. Okay. That's very intentional. That's how I... That's my style of lighting. So for most people, most lighting folks, uh, it's when the lighting cue starts that's what they're after when they push the button. For me, it's when the lighting cue ends. It's a little different. So I'll run my lighting cue five seconds early and hope it lands on one, quote unquote, uh -huh. in the music. One, two, three, four, one. Two, and is it the same with the video now, or is there a little bit of a different I delay? I have in options. That? Yeah. Um, I can make the video change in zero time, one second, two seconds, five seconds. I could have it crossfade. I could have it wipe into the next piece. I have several buttons that allow me to choose the form in which I present the next clip. So it's been an exciting time for you then, kind of uh, you know, learning new things. Yeah, are you reinvigorated? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I was a little, it's been a process, you know, it's been a learning <laughs> process. I definitely was a little nervous about it at first. It took me a while to get used to it. Still today, it's a work in progress. I'm trying to use it in different ways. There's been a lot of fan feedback about it, whether it's good or bad. I try to take all that feedback, process it, and try to use the video in different ways in hopes of, of pleasing as many folks as possible. Are you, are you going back and watching some of the, the live broadcasts that you have so to kind of look and see what you did? Or you actually record on your own? To We record on our own, that, that sort of thing. And uh. um, But more than anything, uh, we've been just trying to listen to our fans and get a vibe for how they feel. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I've gotten a lot of middle ground feedback, you know. And we try to take that feedback and say, okay, you know, we want everyone to be happy out there um, so let's try to use it in different ways I can tell you the one main thing that's happened for me is first few shows I was using it on every lighting cue oh we have this great new video product use it use it use it next clip next clip woo cool sweet you know and then after a while I started learning to mix it with the lighting and have just lighting and just lighting and then throw a video clip in there at the right time and maybe just the video clip Instead of a real dark lighting look in the past, well, let's just backlight him with the with the video wall. Uh -huh. right. And it, that, that sort of thing. I know. noticed Friday at one point they got deep in the jam and you just took it right off and went, is that because you wanted to go with them? Is it easier to move with the improv when you don't have to deal with the video? Or was that just a, a creative in the moment decision? Creative in the moment decision, but also yes, to answer your question. It's a little of both. It's, you know, it, a, a, I try to mix it up. B, sometimes light, I'm just starting to like piece together that there are moments when it's just a lighting moment. 
there are bigger moments when you want to present this big picture to everybody. There are moments when I would just backlight the band in the past with just backlights, and you sit there and go, you know, this time, just the video wall. It accomplishes the same, I use the word vibe a lot. It accomplishes the same vibe, and it's a new visual. It, it, it's a basically, you know, what it really is, is it's just another layer of our lighting. So instead of thinking of it as, oh, they have a video screen. No, we just have another element, another layer to what's going on there. And True, but you have a lot of options. You could move it during the set if you wanted, right? And you guys choose to just do it during, to change it up during the break and make as it in a the bigger, wall you're talking about. Yes. Yes, and that brings us back to the evolution that we were talking about. We intentionally keep all the trusses low and the wall very thin for the first set and try to keep it real intimate, low and intimate. And then for the second set, we try to evolve into the much bigger look where we open the wall, take the trusses up real high, and now we have our second set look. And that all came from what I was talking about before, about right. evolution, sure. trying to create some sort of evolution. Um, you know, and the other thing, just to finish the thought, is the band, for many years, they're on stage, and it's sort of a black hole around them without a backdrop or without, you know what I mean? There's just dark space. So we all got together and kind of decided, wouldn't it be cool to put them in some sort of environment, like a, a place, literally, where they feel comfortable and they feel at home, and the environment is the semicircle video wall on the stage with them. And we got really lucky with that because after discussion and discussion and discussion, we built it, put them in that environment during rehearsals, and they loved it. They felt like they huh. were in their own space. Well, I could see that when you, uh, there's always like uh, snowflakes when uh, behind Gordon when he's got a scarf on it. So I, I guess that's intentional. <laughs> yes and no, but yes. Um, just the, the whole dimension changes when you're looking at Trey, for example, or Mike or anybody, and they're lit up and you just see darkness behind them versus some background when the thing is on, they, they, they literally pop right out of it, like they're almost three-dimensional. Uh -huh. And being able to, to get that look and then mix it up and have both options has been pretty cool. Did you consider 3D screens, uh, that, that kind of that deal or at all when you were doing this? I uh, had not considered 3D screens. Uh, the product we're using right now is called Row Hybrid, and the thing we like about it is that it's a medium-res screen, and it's a low-res screen. It's got both types of LED pixels oh. built into each panel. So we have basically two products in one. Mm -hmm. So uh, we try to use it that way and, and try to highlight both both ways did, that it were works. Were you cutting your teeth on this new uh, this, this this new gear and this new form of media? You know, using uh, when you started your work with uh, with MSG with this in the sporting realm. Um, no, actually, the two are actually very unrelated. Mm -hmm. That's a, a whole different animal all in itself. They use a lot of projection. They project on the court for the Knicks. They project on the ice for the Rangers. And we sort of have to light around their projection. Okay. Um, um, one of the things, one of the many, many things a lot of other lighting directors attribute to you being particularly exceptional at is your use of, of BI lights. And if you could keep in mind that we're not, our audience isn't all lighting people. You could explain what BI lights are, how you learned them and got so adept to them, and how they play in with the new screen. Yeah, the BIs are, there are 37 pixels in a BI. And um, 
again, speaking of long and arduous processes, um, there are many ways, modes within that light that you can run it. You can run it so it just turns on and it's just light, all the pixels turn on. Then it has a, I think it's like a 24 channel mode where you use a bunch of built-in pixel effects. That I think there's 18 choices. And they're all, you know, in my opinion, pretty basic and mediocre. Or you can run them in 169 channel mode where you're speaking from the console DMX individually to each pixel. We chose to do that. The, the backside of that is when you do that, you have to write all your own little effects for them, and it takes months and months and months. Very tedious. And each pixel becomes a light, so you're writing lighting effects and talking to oh 7,000 pixels at once, depending how many you have up there. It's a perfect job yeah. for someone who has OCD, huh? It took a lot of programming, I mean, insane amounts. But that's fish, and that's how we do it, and we, we try not to uh, cut corners and take shortcuts. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Um, you know, back... Again, the BI, we've had about three years now. That was just another attempt at something different. You know what I mean? So, And, and you, this is all going through the traditional board that you've been using? Grand MA2, yes. Really? So you can run all video through the Grand MA? I didn't realize that. Trigger is a better word for video. Uh -huh. I could trigger it from the Grand MA. Got it. It has its own server, and we've set it up so that I can trigger the clips. The server is very smart and has a lot of tricks built into it and timings and things like that. Um, but yes, we had to come up with a system where I could, my fingers and hands could be controlling everything. I can't call cues to other people. Fish just doesn't work that way. Just the way they change on, a, on the fly and go here and go there, and time signatures. There's no time to talk. You have to sort of do it yourself. And um, again, one of the, another mantra when we first started doing this video thing was the band sat down with me and said, look, we want to do these new things. We want to try new ideas. We want to get some new art out there. But the end result can't be that it takes away from your ability to do what you do and how you do it. You still need to beat Chris out there. We're not going to change the way we play. You can't change the way or style that you like. So however this all gets put together, we can't take you away from the equation. Yeah. You know, you can't be, you know, behind a wall going, I can't do it the way I normally do it because it doesn't work that way. And the amount of thought and processing and work and concepts and discussions and meetings just on the technical end to be able to set it up so that I could run it that way was pretty intense. So but, you know, I, I work with geniuses, and they've figured <laughs> out how to, how to make it all happen. So I'm thankful to all of them. Yeah, Actually, go ahead. Well, there's a company called TAIT. They've worked with the Rolling Stones and, and you too. And that, how did you select them? And um, if you want to expound more on, on the geniuses you're working with with them? Uh, well, this is, we mainly work with, for, first of all, I didn't know a lot about video before I dove into this. So Even with I, your sister's I, work with video? Even though my sister has worked with video. <laughs> so I needed to find somebody to collaborate with who I knew would understand how fish works and how this all needs to get, get put together. And I found an amazing woman named Abigail Holmes, 
who has designed for the Talking Heads, Roger Waters, The Cure, you know, sort of more abstract artists like that as opposed to more mainstream artists. And there were other folks I had reached out to as well, but her resume really resonated with me as a style that Fish would really like those sort of abstracty kind of bands and when I threw her name out there that I'd like to collaborate with her you know they they dove right in and went man she sounds perfect and ever since day one I called her up and went hey I'm, my name's Chris we're doing this project I need some help I want to collaborate with you would you be interested and we had about a three-hour conversation. We were on the same page. Oh, she didn't put you in hold, and you're just and you're sitting there going, still waiting. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> and uh, she's been amazing. I mean, just since day one, she's just been super helpful, super on board. Totally understands how we roll, what we're looking for, abstract. And uh, I leaned on her in a in a very big way on putting this all together and doing it right. Has she been out to the show? Oh yeah, she came out for like the first week helped sort of make sure it was all working right. Oh, and that's awesome. She came back for that second round of content creation that we were talking about earlier in San Francisco. So um, you, you've worked two arenas since you put it up. How do you feel about it in an arena? I know you touched on Bill Graham a little bit. I loved it in Bill Graham, and we played in Portland, Maine in a smaller one. I, I didn't think it worked so well there because the space was so small, but it worked great in Bill Graham. Also, I was uh, probably using it differently in Portland compared to the evolution that I've had personally by the time we got to Bill Graham. So I'm sure I was using it differently than in, in one place than I was in the other. But I think it's going to translate great this fall when we're indoors. So we should be in great shape. Uh, this may lead to another mantra, but can you explain uh, hot colors and warm colors and how you don't like to mix it? Do you, are you still not like to mix them or are you deviating from that a little? With the screen? Uh, I, I deviate a little, especially with the screen. Um, you know, uh, complementary has sort of always been my thing. I'm not a huge contrast color mix kind of person, but there are places for it. And that's just strictly style and preference more than anything Which are else. hot and which are warm? Uh, my, my hots are the yellows, reds, magentas. Uh, my cools are the greens, blues, purples, lavenders. And there are some colors that work both ways. Um, lavender could work with the hots, could work with the cools, that kind of thing. Um, you know, everyone's got a different, it's just personal preference. But I find that uh, what I like to see is uh, mainly complementary colors working together. You know, Spinal Tap came up in our last interview. <laughs> and I'm wondering. As it does in every interview. Yes. It and I'm wondering the whole concept of going to 11. Because you, when you're working with a band that's improvising, you don't know when they're going to resolve a jam. You don't know when it's going to hit the point. So you must have a color that you hit so that if they don't resolve, you can still go somewhere else. Do you ever do that? So you have yeah, it kind I, of in your pocket? I try color to keep pocket, white yeah. in my back pocket. White is your 11? White is my 11, okay. yes. And then there's two forms of white. There's white lights, and then if I need to take it one more step, I can add white strobe lights on top ah. of that. So get that extra punch. But you never want to go full strobe, right? I don't really strobe my strobe lights. I use them for accents and hits and punch and that kind of thing. I don't actually make them go... He doesn't like giving people seizures, Rob. Not with the strobe lights. I strobe my 
uh, lighting fixtures uh, often, but I try to stay away from strobing the strobe lights. Yeah. It's interesting uh, that the gentleman who did lights for my morning jacket last night is also the guy who's done the majority of trade shows when you haven't done it. And you hadn't, you just met him for the first time, right? Uh, I met him once before, and then I met him here, Mark Janowitz, talented guy. I uh, haven't really seen much of his work. He, uh, I did Justin Bieber in 2012. Sure. Trey was going out, and I called Trey up and went, listen, I, I got this, it's Justin Bieber. I, I really want to do it. World tour, year and a half, big deal. And Trey, being the awesome person that Trey is, went, okay, you should do that. That's a really great opportunity, and we'll find someone to take your place on tap. No one can take your place on fish, so if it's there's, there's Justin Bieber show and a fish show, sorry, you're going to be at the fish show. Fine, no problem. But he let me sort of slide on tab, and they went out and found Mark Janowitz, and I believe they're very happy with him. So, But it must be odd to see someone else run, run lights for Trey, but I guess you haven't seen, you didn't... Get uh, to see his work. Uh, did you intentionally avoid it just to I not be? I watched it on YouTube. You did, and what did you? I mean, that's, it's fine. You was know it bizarre? I, well, he, he, if I'm correct, the story is, is you watched it and then you uh, sent a text saying uh, a little more blue during the song, a little more blue. I Why aren't those lights moving? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I mean, you know, it, it's weird, but but it's not. It's you know, I was busy with something else, and you know, as long as Trey's happy with what he's getting. And I also think that Trey probably finds it a little refreshing to have a different approach yeah. than my approach. He has my approach with fish, and he had my approach with tab, and my approach is similar in many ways, no matter which act I'm lighting. So here comes, here comes someone with a fresh brain and fresh ideas doing different things. I can only imagine that that was refreshing for him. So, Who are some of the younger LDs on the scene that you're impressed with or... That you've seen more. Uh, you know, I I'll always uh, rave about Saxton Waller. I think he's With fantastic. Nine, correct? Yep. Um, my buddy Chris Reagan, oh, who's I, doing I, uh, I, Dead I, and Company. Right when he, he used to do My Morning Jacket, and then and he Mo, sort, he's got his, cut his teeth the Mo, yeah, right? And then he slid into this BML executive dude. Uh -huh. you know, but now which, he's back doing. Who's he working with now? And now he's doing Dead and Company. That's right. He's Thank back you. behind a lighting console, and nothing could make me happier because he's an amazing artist. Yeah, he, he he he's a true one in the when we're talking about palette. He's all about palette, and it's just very flavorful uh, lighting designers. Not yeah. all it's not all in your face, you know. It's just creates that nice. Yes, ambient. and he's always been that way. Yeah. I mean, our first interaction together was maybe 18, 17 years ago, you know, and he was lighting, like I said, my morning jacket, Mo, a few others, and. He sort of slid out of the touring world and took sort of a, a stay-at-home, gonna-have-a-wife-now desk job type of thing. And like I said, to see him back out and doing lighting again is, it, it makes me happy. You know, I've used him as a vendor for a lot of our festivals and site lighting and stuff, so I get to hang out with him. He's my old friend, and we do a lot of work together, and he's an amazing vendor, but he's an even better lighting designer. So yeah. to see him back out there again is pretty nice. And we're, we've uh, we've heard that 1975, you and you and Trey went and saw the band 1975, and that ins uh, helped uh, determine stuff. But see, I got really confused about that. When I read that, I'm like, what show did they see in 1975? And then I realized it was the band in 1975. Right. And by yeah. the way, I got a little confused. We should give credit. It was Mike Greenhouse's article in Jam Bands. He did an excellent job. Trey went and saw the uh, T5 performance, Terminal 5 at JFK, and um, was just really impressed with how clean their lighting look was. Kept using the word clean, clean, clean. And 
um, sent me a lot of like personal videos that he took on his iPhone and stuff like that. And we sort of used that as the very base skeletal beginnings of the ideas that led to where we are today. Um, you know, he was very influential in wanting to start looking down the road of doing something real clean like that. Um, ironically, he thought that they were clean rectangular lights that don't put out beams. And even though uh -huh. technically that's what they are, they're actually video panels. They're not clean. They're, not, they're like videos light, but, you know, he thought they were an actual lighting product, not a video product. So once we all got on the same page of that's actually video, they're just using it and making it look like light. Yeah. That was the very infancy of where we wanted to go with where we are today. So. And it's bitmapping how all the squares can be their own thing, but then it also becomes one piece of artwork. Can you talk about the process behind that? And that's another thing you had to learn, right? Well, it's, it's it, quite simply, there's uh, two mappings. There's the closed configuration mappings and the open configuration mappings for a video wall. So um, if I use the wrong clip with the wrong, the wrong mapped clip, with the wrong configuration, it just doesn't look very good. So it's organized in my lighting console in a way that these are first set looks, these are second set looks, and then there are other looks that work with both configurations. So there's that palette as well. I know you're uh, pressed for time, so a um, couple of other questions I guess we'd want to ask you. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing outside of just fish, though. So you started doing the stuff with MSG, working in the sporting realm. This is, uh, is, is, it, is it pretty much um, similar to kind of like what you did, say, on Jam Cruise, where you come in, you set up the room, you, set it, you, know, you build out the, the program, and then walk away, and then someone else is running this? Uh, conceptually like that, it's a lot different than that, but yes, um, we are... I won't be there running the lighting for the season. Somebody else will be doing that, but we are creating all the lighting cues that they could possibly need for the course of a Rangers game and the course of a Knicks game. Well, the dance, so, like the dancers, for example, they come the, out. Don't they do different shows, or is it like this is the season? These are the twelve songs we're doing. They're going to choose what they're going to do at different games, but you're going to take these twelve songs and program it out. Yes, it's more like thirty. But yes, <laughs> Nick City Dancers. So there's all that. Hockey doesn't have that, but basketball does have that. But I mean, on top of all that programming, um, there's literally every lighting cue they could need in terms of T-shirt toss number one, T-shirt toss number okay. two. In hockey, it's goal scored on the 7th Avenue side of the building, goal scored on the 8th Avenue side of the building, power play. We want three different versions of yeah. power play. Um, Is, are you dealing with the video content at all with that, or just the lighting? Just the lighting. Mm. Because, uh, did you see the? Uh, well, now you see that how they're doing the floors now in these arenas. Particularly yeah. hockey, they use the yeah. they use the rink as a canvas essentially. Yeah, you, you don't the, do any of that work. No, that's all projection. I believe they have something like 41 4K projectors all working uh -huh. together to make that imagery, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Did you see the opening of the Olympics, the way they did the lighting with that? Yes, crazy. It was That was pretty nuts. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, they, because they basically, if you didn't see it, or if you're listening, you didn't see it, you had they were using the the, uh, the floor of the, the arena, or, or the whatever, the field, and essentially the lighting down there was projecting, and then they would, they would bring out other things to take the extension from the floor all the way up now, and it created this, like, layers that, I mean, it was just pretty mind-blowing yeah it was amazing they did it with like elevators 
and created buildings and the dancers would jump around and yeah, it was really cool. Before we lose you, let's just go back to the beginning real quick. When you did land the job, and now you're in the position of job. the working with fish. Okay. And now you're in the position of scheming, budgeting, putting it together, but you didn't really know lights at the time. How was that learning curve? How did you how did you work through that? We all worked through it together, actually. <laughs> I mean, back when I first started, there was no such thing as budget. We had bought some lights, and that's what we had. Yeah, Trey, you were at Wetlands, and Trey kind of spontaneously bought them, right? Yeah, pretty much. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, we started getting a little more popular and playing some bigger rooms and realized that what we had wasn't ample anymore, so we traded in for a bigger and better system. And then uh, learned a lesson really early on that uh, you want to lease lights and rent lights as opposed to buy them. As soon as you own them, they become obsolete. Especially when we moved into the moving light world and away from the parkan world. So at that point, we started getting lighting vendors like we do today and renting real little systems that they'd provide a couple of techs and that kind of thing. And that's when budgets came into play. And um, you just sort of got given a number and had to work within it. I always come in over budget, and then I always end up over budget because I get a little more flexibility from the people creating the budgets to say, all right, this was our ceiling. You're not too far over it. Okay, if you say it's going to look good, we'll go there. So it right. wasn't a light budget. It was not a light budget. <laughs> so, it, But initially, you're a crew member like anyone else, but at some point, you're a creative part of the band, you stop doing your own loadout, that sort of thing. When, when did that change take place? Oh, probably around 1994, give or take. Around when? 1994. And how did the other crew members react to suddenly you not being involved in the, in the loadout? It, um, not, not badly. I mean, everyone has their job, you know what I mean? And the lighting designer has his role. I mean, it's a give and take. All right, maybe I'm not pushing cases and loading trucks, but I'm staying till six o'clock in the morning in many places doing programming. overnight programming yeah. when everyone leaves at 6 p.m. to go have dinner and enjoy their evening. So, you know, every role is different on a tour. The guitar tech has his responsibilities. The lighting designer has his. A lot of you guys have so been with you so for and, a long time, right? These, these guys you're talking about, a lot of these cats that you've been working with you have been with you for a long time. Yeah, we have a core crew of people. There's about seven or eight of us that have been here for 20 plus I'm, I'm in the middle of my 28th year with Fish. So. Wow. And I'm a little light naive. You used to have two assistants setting stuff up for you. Now you, you're back to doing it on your own. What, what was that? Oh, I have, I have one gentleman. His name's Andrew Giffen. Okay. He's my programmer. Uh, he helps me design. He's, he's my right arm. You okay. know, over time, he's become my right arm. I rely on him for a lot of different things, and he always comes through. He's, he's an amazing human being, an amazing programmer an amazing worker. Um, he always meets his deadlines. He, he works his ass off, and um, he always comes through with any requests I have of him. He's a Grand MA2 genius, and if I ask him to make the lighting or program something that the console might not be able to do, like he'll, I'll say, I wanted this, I want to do that. He'll go, Chris, the console doesn't work that way. I, it, you can't do that, but give me a minute. 
and he'll go in and rewrite the code. He knows all the programming on the root level of the of the code, like I said. And he'll come back in a day or two and go, okay, I, I figured it out, what you wanted to do. I've now made the console do what you're asking it to do. Jailbreaker, that's these amazing. Keys. That's, that's, that's crushed. Sort of like that. Yeah, sort of like a jailbreak in a way. Um, he, he's a pretty amazing human being, and I definitely could not do half the things I do without him. He He's the sort of architect of the technical and the fish lighting. So. And is it ever coming from the band to you and then you to, to him kind of, does it process oh, that way? Well, certainly, you know, that, that does happen. Um, I, have a, I have a lot of freedom with the band to uh, light how I want to light, but there are also some, you know, very basic rules that I won't get into right now about what not to do. So. Can you give us one? Um, the, it's grow. Don't try to be the lighting guy you were in 1995. Grow to be more mature. Light more maturely. Slow down. Don't be so hyper. Right. Don't like strobe in every song. Like, let it breathe. There, over the 25, 28 years, whatever it's been, there are discussions like that where we get together and the mantra is, we're growing grow with us, you know. Seth mentions the audience, I gotta ask this while I have you there, because you're up there, you're not in cans, you're listening to the house, right? Correct. As the years have gone by, when they play quietly, the crowd these days can get a little chatty. Does that impact them? Do they Are they aware of that? And are they a little more reticent to get into quiet spaces as a result? Um, I couldn't answer that saying that I know the answer, but I'd imagine that they're aware of the chattiness. And, you know, there there are times when, depending on if we have the right audience in front of us, everyone will be so silent you could hear a pin drop. And then there are other situations where they're all talking it up and that kind of thing. Right. Giant festival like this, probably a lot of talking. Sure, you, can't, you expect that at a festival. Club with a lot of beer drinking, right. probably a lot of talking. But like but, dicks? Is that a quiet crowd? Now they're a bunch of dicks. Doesn't matter with you. That's a big crowd, so you know they can be quiet. Arenas, they tend to be uh, quiet in arenas. So gotta ask, you said arenas. Um, that's just gotta be kind of exciting to kind of be going from fault of going from summer tour outdoors, with the exception of Bill Graham, um, but to start moving into the arena realm. Um, is it, you, that's gonna be phase three, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I mean we're just gonna sort of take what we're doing. Move it indoors and, again, try to use it in different ways and see how it all plays out. And, you know, like I said before, this is still such a work in progress. It's still very experimental. Um, and we're, when I say we're, I am still trying to find my happy place with all this gear, you One know. One thing here that I noticed, and this is kind of a funny way to say it, but so I'm standing out in the VIP, kind of in front of the VIP area, so it give you a realm back, you know, stage left area. And the beer vendor puts on the for night one. Beer vendor pops on their 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 you know the big generator light, and and now it's pushing out this way. You know from going towards the stage. You know, obviously they adjusted that. But my point on this was it got me thinking. Okay, lights always coming out, but like in an arena, you're you're in this tight space. You could actually push light, kind of you know moving it around and kind of bring it in, and that'd be kind of a cool effect. Oh, absolutely. No question. Nice thing about, for example, Madison Square Garden 
is they, for the sports, have lights all over the arena. And they've just recently allowed touring acts who oh, really? come through the building that if you want to, you can tie into it and use it. That's we awesome. used it very sparingly last New Year's with our hourglass New Year's game. Right, right. Well, we roll through there uh, the next time. We uh, plan on really digging into that now that I have a lot of programming for it for the yeah. sports. You've got oh, your really? fingerprint all over the place there. Right, integrating yeah. what we're doing and uh, try, try to maybe do some effects just like you described. That's so, awesome. Talking yeah. about other light, um, the logo of the festival, although it's lit real cool, real mellow, that is kind of above your light show. And when you played Bonnaroo, I don't remember, did you allow Bonnaroo to put their logo? What do you uh, feel about stuff that's not part of your light show being on the stage? I always want to turn it off. But that's just a personal thing. But you're the headline. If you want to turn it off, I imagine they would. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, there are political reasons that go way above my head uh, of people that think it should be on. So, you know, the lock-in logo, lock-in folks think it should be on, and that then, sure, okay, why not? Bonnaroo has been gracious enough at times to turn it off for our set because we asked them to. But, again, if those folks that are much higher up the totem pole than me decide that they need that logo lit, fine. You know, 20 years ago, I would say, yes, that really bothers me. The new 50-year-old version of myself just rolls it's with the It's part of the growing. Yep. Yeah. And, it, and it's not the often that you play festivals other than, well, Bonnaroo or Lockin, it's not a fish fest. We so. did an ACL a few years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. That was the other one. And I know you can't say what, but has the band decided what they're going to do on Halloween in the second set? Uh, I do not know the answer to that question. But he is working on the video content, so don't yeah, worry about he's that. Got the video content. <laughs> he has no idea yeah. what's going to happen. Chris, I have a closing question and yeah, closing comments. So closing question first. When was the last time you went to, not counting 1975, when was the last time you went to a show and were just knocked out by the light show, and what show was it? Thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh, probably Radiohead. <laughs> and uh, they always knock me out with a light show. Fantastic. So. And the closing statement, we're going to go football. Sorry, Seth. And you're listening to Inside Out Sports Radio with your host, Rob Turner. I have to tell you, as a lifelong New England Patriots fan, that two of the most impressive football performances I've ever seen in my life were when you guys beat us in the Super Bowl both times. So I begrudgingly, because I'm not a Giants fan, begrudgingly tip my hat to you in a big way. Tip my helmet. Wow, thank you very much. I am a diehard Giants fan, and those were both amazing wins. But... Uh, the 18-in-one uh, year, that was particularly sweet. Sorry. No, we still were 16-and-0. No one else has done that. That's, I'm cool uh, with that. That's his timer yeah. saying he's yeah, done. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. It's been an honor to talk to you Chris, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me and speaking with me. Well, and, we'll do this and, again. Uh, at any time. So thank you again. All right. Thank you.
Wow. That is some sweet interplay there. I was digging that. Maybe we should have let it go longer. Okay, here we go. Seth can be stingy about how much music we play on the show. Well, hold on a second, Rob. First of all, if it, if you had control of the show, <sighs> it would be a three-hour show, 90 minutes of talking, and the rest of the time just playing music, which is fine, but it's a podcast, not a radio show. It'd be pun-free, too. Oh, you know what, Rob? Uh, I take a great offense to that. So what'd you think of that interview? Uh, you asking me or the crowd? So if, you're, if you're asking everybody, they, can, asking they the... can email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com or hit you up on Twitter or us up on Twitter at insideoutwtns. Please do take a minute to, uh, if you like the stuff, share it. And if you're a, um, what do you call it, Periscope person, follow me on Twitter, R-S-T-N-E-R. And uh, if you like what you hear, help us out. Go on iTunes and review the show. I'm I'm told that that's uh, that's really key. Has anyone done that yet? Have we even looked? Yeah, I did it. Oh, you <laughs> you review the show. That's not going to be good for me. But at least someone reviewed it. Oh man, well yeah, I really enjoyed that interview, Chris. If you're listening, thank you. And uh, Mike, if you're listening, when you come through Atlanta, please. Reach out to us. Well, we're happy to interview you. Chris Grote is a great guy. I mean, let's face it. At the point when we did this interview. I mean, now now the podcast is getting a little love, but at the point where he asked to be on the show, we we were be, below nothing. Yeah. And then he's like the nicest guy. He's really was making an effort. He's got this new rig. He's playing a festival, and you know, which he's not used to. He's used to being in his own milieu. And he, uh, you know, he made time for us. He rolled with the the fact that we didn't really have a location. You yeah, know what he I really mean? rolled with the punches. <laughs> well, he was born under them, so. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Uh, yeah, anyway. a buddy though, buddy. So uh, for those of you who don't know, we did do a um, Facebook uh, video, but it was one of those live feeds, so we only tried to do like five minutes of it, which infuriated Matt Wilson. I'm told uh, and it- he, our lawyer Matt Wilson definitely was infuriated because he thought we was going to see the whole thing, and he thought it was just technical weakness. But no, Matt. No, he called himself. It was not. Someone told me he called himself an amateur on Facebook. Why would you do that? Uh. <laughs> just because he couldn't. See the figure out what was going on. He didn't have to call himself Remember. an amateur. That's a bit much. So, anyway, any rate, though, uh, be nice to yourself, Matt. Come on, <laughs> you're a good guy. I, I lost my thought. What was I talking about before? Oh yeah, the Facebook thing. So we did do a video on Facebook, but my buddy uh, in South Florida, or not South Florida, whatever. My, one of my high school college buddies. He's uh, also one of my fish buddies. He he's looking at the video. He goes, he's like, man. You know, Corotto looks just like a fisherman, just like a guy that's just like South Florida fisherman and kind of what he is. He's a giant fan fisherman. 
Yeah, well, that was a, that was a lot of fun. And, and hey, uh, if you guys want us to do more of that video stuff, uh, let us know by email or what whatever. Because um, you know, I'm I'm indifferent to it. I, I'll do it if the listeners or viewers want it. Um, I guess the Benny Bloom one went yeah. out over Jam Cruise. That went through Cloud Nine. We did that in the Cloud Nine booth at Lock, and so they put it out on theirs. Yeah, the entire thing. Yeah, I think that yeah they did the recorded the whole thing. So. It was All out. All right. But I like just doing pieces because I'd rather you all come here and hear us. Sure, but that was, that was nice of Jam Cruise to that was uh, nice of Cloud wave Nine. a flag for us. That was. Very cool. So uh, on the fish note, uh, last weekend, Rob, I meant to tell you this, uh, our, our good friend who was with us uh, at the event, Carrie Romanoff, he, um, <clears throat> he he runs Hatch Films. It's a, uh, anyway, though, it's a, he it's a cool He can be thing. so hilarious and so funny, and he can be such a little diva, too, man. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, he, his delicate, birthday, his delicate birthday party. like a flower. His birthday party was called, um, he, he had a bunch of his friends over, and it was all couples, and it was a thing where you, it was a, everyone had to pair stuff together. So, there's four things you have to pair each couple. The couple has to pair, uh, and it also was C. So, you have to pair a cuisine with... A cocktail with a costume and a carry with a C karaoke song. So my wife and I did the cuisine. We did. We went. We went with the flavor of Mexico. So we made enchiladas uh, with, and I smoked uh, chicken on the big green egg. It was freaking delicious. She made this amazing enchilada sauce. Uh, it was really unbelievable. Anyway, so we did uh, Mexico, right? Enchiladas, costume. We dressed in our Mexican outfits that we got. Really nice Mexican, you know, authentic outfits that we got when we were in Mexico. Um, the uh, costume, the, uh, the... I consider your wife a bit of a Mexican cousin, just so you know. Uh, well, that was the song we did. Oops. That was the song we did. That was the karaoke song. And then for the cocktail, we made margarita, tequila, margarita, jello shots. A lot of work for for, for but it was a lot of fun. It sounds like a really, really cool theme for a party, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a good idea. So folks very out there... Very creative. Well done, Carrie. He's a very creative guy, not surprising. Although my other friend says, fuck Carrie, that motherfucker is the only person I know that makes a party and has everyone else bring the fucking shit. Like, I'm not spending any money. Everyone, yeah, you guys bring the drinks. You guys bring the food. I'm not spending money. Fuck, I'm not spending money on music. You guys bring the music. He is one of those guys. He gets a certain look on his face, and you can almost see the wheels spinning. See that mind oh, going? Oh yeah, that's a mind. That's an active mind on in that guy's. Well, skull. To, the, to the point that uh, Lockin, we wanted to give away some stuff. And this he, was his idea. Him and his wife, uh, and uh, they they were like they were talking about different ideas. I'm like, hey, what should we give away? And they came up with the idea that yeah, cell yeah, some phone of you might wallet. have met me at Lockin. Um, because I actually went into the crowd. Seth only hung backstage That's and handed them true. out. That's not true. I went into the crowd. I actually went into the general population because I'm more familiar with that area. I'm not a... You are the fan, and I am the I am the fan side. So I went out and met some of the fans. <laughs> and uh, some, were really, uh, some were really friendly. Some were hostile, of course. You know, One guy said, no, I don't need that, and like showed me his phone. And he had this little door, and he had, like a, he had like something that would command 300 bucks a month in New York City. Like a little one-bedroom apartment in his phone. He had money. He had credit cards. He had like a Rolodex. He had porno. I couldn't believe it. Same. All in his little phone. It wasn't a particularly That's large phone. It wasn't sad. even a six plus big screen. It was just yeah. a, you was know, it a midget little... porn. 
So um, listen, Rob, I do want to also mention one other thing out not, there. If there's musicians listening, not I, familiar. I came I came across this and I want to share this. Uh, many of you all know Grammy organization. They have a program called Music Cares. Well, check this out. If you if you look on their website, they tell you when they do this. But there are times that Music Cares, like for example, if if on Saturday here at the A3C Festival, which is going to be the past when you listen to this, but anyway, at festivals and different events, they set up and you could get custom earplugs, custom-made earplugs, you know, those in-ears that they, they mm-hmm, use mm-hmm. the wax and the whole thing, free. At these, I'm talking about $300 value, free, if you're a musician or someone that works in the music industry, production, sort of thing like that. So if you're listening and you're in the industry, take advantage of this. I mean, save your ears. Uh, there's a lot of organizations like we're here for you that give away and distribute uh, earplugs at festivals. But, I mean, custom-made earplugs, that $300... Come on, folks. Check Music it out. Music Cares, great organization. Yeah, it really is. Much really better is. organization than that sports don't give a shit organization. Oh, you mean gofuckyourself.com? But see, their their excuse is we don't have to buy tables. We don't have to. There's like very low overhead because they don't give a shit. So I'd, uh, on the hurricane note, but um, my, my folks live in South Florida. And so do my, my friends' folks live in South Florida. So I'm like, Matthew's coming through. Not my lawyer. But uh, yeah, Hurricane Matthew's coming through, so I'm calling my mom. By the way, Hurricane Matthew's coming through is what we said uh, just before my wedding. Oh, I don't get it. I got a buddy, Matthew Carson from from Massachusetts, who (laughs) blessed us with his presence at our wedding. But he he is a bit of a Hurricane Matthew because... uh, So I I call my parents. I'm like, Mom, uh hello, Mom, uh uh-huh. You know, she does that thing. Anyway, I'm like, Mom, did you you put the shutters up? She's like, got to talk to your father. So, of course, I talked to my father. Dad, you put the shutters. I have someone coming. Anyway, so I decided I would start calling my friends and make sure their parents are safe. So this my calls would be like, "Hey Brian, listen, I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to take care of your mother. I'm going to shut her up. I'm going to shut her up. Get it? Shut her up. Yes, yes, I do get it. I thought it was so funny. Shut her up, and I thought it'd be great business. Hi, Bob Jones here. I'm here to shut her up." You got a bomb in South Florida. I can shut her up. That hurricane's coming. I'm going to shut her up. One last Chris Carota thing. He's down in Florida, not far from where your parents are. No, he I probably. He, that, I should have asked him to shut her up. Somebody, hey, hey Chris, somebody you mind needs helping to. my folks. <laughs> oh, hey. Uh, again, folks, listen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed Inside Out with Turner and Seth. You can find us on the web, Inside Out WTNS. And of course, don't forget, whatever you do, take care of your. A Mazel Tov? Oh, that's right. Lashinatova, Tikvateno, Happy New Year. There was a there was a, a holiday, wasn't there? It's a holiday. And this isn't one of the fake ones. This is like a real Jewish. Yes, this, this is, is real like Jewish Hanukkah where they're like, oh, there's Christmas. Uh, let's make a holiday. Let's let's blow up this holiday, make it bigger. This is one of the real Jewish holidays. It's very real. And next week is Yom Kippur. So all I gotta say to the folks that are listening, I'm sorry. Please, I'm sorry. Do it like waiting all night. I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry.
is growing brighter now I see the future is less and less there And the past has vanished in the air And I'm left in the now with a wondrous glow Now. And the light is growing brighter now.